Well, friends, uh, this past week, I have studied the Bible and I have pondered this passage from the book of Exodus that we're going to be looking at today. And I'm here to tell you now that I have had perhaps the deepest, perhaps the most profound insight that I have ever had. Friends, grab a pen. Grab a pen and write this down. You're not going to be disappointed, okay? You want to hear this. You want to remember this, okay? My deep, profound insight. Here we go. Pen's poised. People, right? People are like tomatoes. People are like tomatoes. That's right. Deep, isn't it? Maybe I better explain. You know, when you're standing there in the fruit and veg section down at Coles, you want to buy a tomato. You want to buy a good tomato. You want a nice, firm tomato. But you look at this great stack of tomatoes and they all look the same, don't they? So, how do you pick a good one? Well, what you do is you you pick it up, you give it a bit of a squeeze, don't you? You give it a bit of a squeeze. And because it's only then, when you give it a bit of a squeeze, that you get to see what the tomato's really like. You know, if you squeeze it and it's nice and firm, it's a good one and you buy it. Now, if you squeeze it and it squishes all in your hand and goes all over the floor, then it's not a good one and you don't buy it and then somebody has to come along with a mop and bucket and clean up your mess. But you see, that's just like people, really. On the outside, it's possible for people to give the appearance that's all, that all is fine. But it's only when people are under a little bit of pressure It's only when they face a little bit of hardship that you get to see what they're really like when you give them a bit of a squeeze. It was the great Winston Churchill who once said, you can tell the character of a person by the choices made under pressure. You can tell the character of a person by the choices made under pressure. Of course, what Churchill was really trying to express when he said that is that people are like tomatoes. Well, in today's passage uh, from the book of Exodus, we're going to have a look at the people of Israel and we're going to see what they're really like. We're going to see their true character because today we're going to see the Israelites given a bit, of a bit of a squeeze. You might remember that at the end of last week's passage, we saw the people of Israel on, they're now on the far side of the Red Sea. Things were looking pretty good for them. You'll remember that now God has rescued them from Egypt, uh, that he's brought them safely through the sea, that he's destroyed Pharaoh and his army. They now lie at the bottom of the Red Sea. This was a marvellous time to be an Israelite. No more slavery, no more hard labour, no more killing of their little babies. It was a great time for them. And so what did the Israelites do? Remember? They sang... They sang, they sang of the greatness of God who rescued them. They sang of their trust in him. They sang about their confidence that God would now bring them through to the promised land as he had promised. And so at this point, the Israelites, they certainly give all appearances that they are a people who are loyal to God and who trust in him, a people who rejoice in God. But is this their true character? Because sure, they look fine when all's going well, but how, how are they going to go if they're, if they're given a little bit of a squeeze? How are they going to go if they have to face some real hardship? That's what we're going to find out today. Now, if you don't already have your Bible open in front of you, uh, can I please encourage you to turn with me there now? 
uh, to Exodus chapter 15. Uh, you'll find that on page 51 of the small print or 111 of the uh, larger print Bibles, Exodus 15. Now in today's passage, uh, the Israelites, they're going to face three hardships. Three hardships. The first hardship, it comes not all that long after they leave the shore of the Red Sea and they head off into the desert. They're walking for uh, three days and as they do, they're not able to find any water to drink. There's no water anywhere. Then finally, they come across a water hole at a place called Marah. But when they taste it, oh, they find it's undrinkable. It's just way too bitter. Now, this is a pretty scary situation to be in for the Israelites. I mean, put yourself in their sandals for a moment. There's over a million of them. They've been out in the desert for three days now. No water. There doesn't seem to be any prospect of water. Parents. Well, parents must have been getting pretty worried about their kids, I imagine. People could probably looked around and they saw some of the older folk among them starting to wane. This is a genuinely scary situation for the Israelites. So how do they respond in this first hardship? Well, what they do is they grumble. They grumble, they whinge, and they complain. And they direct their grumbling squarely at the man who has brought them out here in the desert in the first place. They grumble against Moses. Read with me uh, Exodus chapter 15 from verse 22. Exodus 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Remember? Remember how just, uh, what, three days ago when the Goan was good, the Israelites, there they are singing and rejoicing and praising and trusting in God. It's kind of a different picture now, isn't it? When they're given a bit of a squeeze, they're not rejoicing, they're grumbling. So Moses, he cries out to the Lord, what am I going to do, God, he asks. And so God gives him an answer. He gets Moses to pick up a piece of wood and then to, to throw it into the water hole. Moses does what he's told and sure enough, the bitter water becomes sweet and all the people, all the Israelites, they're able to drink it. Chapter 15, verse 25, 25. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, I want you to notice that despite the grumbling of the people here, despite the lack of faith of the Israelites, God, what does he do? He miraculously provides for them. The fact is, God is going to be true to his promises. He really is going to get this community to the promised land, one way or another. It's a lesson that the Israelites, they have to learn to help them, God sets up a little test for the Israelites. It's a little squeeze test. He says, God says to the Israelites, okay, guys, can I have your attention, please? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do two things. First, I want you to trust me. Second, I want you to obey me. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. In other words, I want you to listen to me and do what I tell you to do. Now, don't be like the Egyptians, will you? Did they listen to me? No, they didn't. 
and see what happened to them, all the plagues, or the diseases. But if you trust and obey me, then I promise that no harm will come to you. Remember, I'm on your side. I'm the God who heals you. So trust and obey me. And then to show the Israelites that he really is on their side, God brings the Israelites to a beautiful, lush oasis right there in the middle of the desert. Read with me chapter 15, uh, the second half of verse 25. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes... If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So there you go. You see, God sets up this test. What do the Israelites have to do? They have to trust him and obey him. So what do you reckon? How do you reckon they're going to go on this? You reckon they're going to get through this test? You reckon they've got it in them? Well, I guess we'll never really know the answer to that question until, well, we see them given another little squeeze. And that's exactly what happens now as they face their second hardship. This time, the problem, it's not a lack of drinking water. This time, the problem is a lack of food. The Israelites, they leave this oasis of Elam behind and they head off out into the desert again. It's now about a month that they've been wandering through the desert, about a month since they've had any real food. Again, this is a genuinely scary situation. I know that for me personally, I start to get worried if I miss morning tea. But for these guys, I mean, they've been out in the desert for, what, a month now? This is a real worry. But remember the test. What did God tell them to do? Well, he told them to trust and obey him. So how are they going to go now that the pressure's on again? Pretty poorly, actually. Because you see, again, what they do is they grumble at Moses. But this time, they're grumbling. It's even worse than before. This time, they even say that they wish that they were back in Egypt rather than out here in the desert in this situation. Read with me from chapter 16, verse 1. 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Yes, if only they were back in Egypt. That would be so much better, wouldn't it? Back in Egypt, you remember the life that they had back in Egypt, don't you? You know, where every evening there was a great banquet held for the Israelites. Where the Israelites lazed their days away lying on hammocks, sipping on pina coladas. Oh yes, Egypt, those were the days. Egypt, Egypt, beautiful Egypt. It was like one big long Kentucky tour really, wasn't it? What on earth are these guys talking about? 
how quickly they've forgotten the misery back there in Egypt, the misery that God has so kindly rescued them from. Yeah, you give these Israelites a bit of a squeeze and you see their real character all right. Forgetful, ungrateful, untrusting. That's what they're really like. But despite this, God, once again, with gracious forbearance, provides for the Israelites. This time he miraculously sends them meat and bread right there in the desert. The meat, well, it comes in the form of quail, uh, little birds that fly into the camp of the Israelites that same evening. We're told that the whole camp was covered in quail. Now, if you're wondering what quail look like, here's a picture of them up on the screen. Cute little things, aren't they? And uh, here's a picture of some roasted quail. <laughs> Not quite as cute, but rather delicious looking, aren't they? And the bread... Well, the bread, it comes in the form of white wafers, white wafers called manna. We're not entirely sure what manna is, Uh, not even the Israelites really knew, but we do know that it was some kind of white wafers that would form on the ground every morning, white wafers that tasted something like honey, we're told. Now, not surprising, I wasn't actually able to find a picture of manna, but I was able to find a picture of Kellogg's Honey Crunch Corn Flakes, which uh, might be what the Israelites, or the manna looked like or maybe not I'm not sure anyway as God sends all this food upon the Israelites he also sends with this food some commandments some instructions for them to follow you remember the test that he's already given them what what do they have to do they have to trust and obey him well now he gives them some instructions to see if they will trust and obey him He says to the Israelites, okay, what you have to do is you have to go out every morning and collect enough manna for you and your family for that one day. But at the end of the day, make sure you don't have any manna left over. Okay, you've got to eat all the manna on the day that you collect it. There there isn't to be any leftovers. But God said, he said that the one exception to this rule is on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you you mustn't go out and collect any manna, okay? There's not going to be any there anyway, so don't go out to collect it. Instead, what you're to do is, on the day before the Sabbath, go out and collect twice as much manna. That's the only day you're allowed to keep the manna you've collected overnight, right? They're the instructions that God gave to them. So how are they going to go? Uh, Do you think that uh, they're going to follow these instructions that God has given them? What do you reckon? Well, sadly, no, they don't. And in doing so, what they do is they make both Moses and God very, very angry with them. Read with me from chapter 16, verse 19. Verse 19. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of the manna until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And now jump down to verse 26, 26, where we see Moses said, Six days you are to gather the manna, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? You know... 
in one sense, I, I kind of understand why the Israelites did what they did here. I mean, they're scared, aren't they? They're scared. They now know what it means to be hungry. And, and they're scared that they're going to go out tomorrow when there's not going to be any more of this manna left. That's why they want to collect it all now. They're scared. They're under a lot of pressure. They're facing the squeeze. But at the same time, do you see how in this hardship they're really showing their true character? And that is that they've got this fundamental failure to trust and obey God in all circumstances. But again, despite the way that they're carrying on, what does God do? Well, he, he continues with gracious forbearance to supply the Israelites with all the food that they need. In fact, we're told that from this point onwards, from, from this point, for the next 40 years as they wander through the desert, God would supply them with manna to eat. And of course, when the Israelites saw the kindness of God towards them, what did they do? They all changed their hearts and they all began to trust God from this point onwards. So you would think. But no, that's not what happened at all. As we'll see now, as the Israelites are given one last squeeze, this is the third hardship that they face. This time the problem, it's a lack of water all over again. So what do the Israelites do? Well, they do what they do best. They grumble again. They grumble at Moses just like the other two times. The only difference is that this time they're so angry with Moses that they're ready to stone him to death. So Moses, he cries out to God, God, what am I going to do with these people? And then God answers Moses. He says, it's all right, Moses, go get the elders of Israel and take them to the rock that you will find at the place called Horeb. And then when you get there, take your staff and whack the rock with it. So Moses, he does what God tells him to do. He goes and lo and behold, when he, when he whacks this rock at Horeb, Water comes gushing out of it. It's a miracle. Read with me from chapter 17, verse 4. 17, verse 4. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? It's interesting, isn't it? Very interesting that through these hardships, God is testing the Israelites. He's giving them a bit of a squeeze. But it's interesting, isn't it, that here in this third hardship, what are the Israelites doing? They're turning that around and now they're trying to test God. They're trying to give God a bit of a squeeze. It's like they're there and they're saying, all right, Mr. God, uh, you want us to trust in you, do you? You want us to obey, in, obey you then? Uh, then come on, give us the water that we need and then will believe that you're really among us, as though everything that's happened so far weren't enough. You really want us to trust in you, do you? Then come on, bring on the water. We want water now. See what they're doing? They're demanding from God. They're demanding, they're treating him like some kind of wish dispenser. 
They're treating him like some sort of vending machine, chocolate vending machine. You know, you go and you put your coin in and you press the button and out pops your Kit Kat. It's like they're there, they're saying, yes, God, I'll trust in you as long as I get from you what I want and when I want it. The irony is, of course, that as the Israelites test God in this way, that they're actually failing the test that God has given to them. They're showing that under pressure, they're totally unwilling to trust and obey God. Yeah, put, put them under pressure and what do they do? They grumble, they disobey God, and they start testing him, they start demanding from him. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Are these Israelites ever going to firm up? Are these Israelites ever going to come to trust and obey God? Not, not just when the going's good, but when the pressure's on too. Will they ever become good tomatoes? Well, I'm afraid that that's where our story ends for today, so uh, we're just going to have to stay tuned to find out how these Israelites go. But what I want to do is I want us to take a little moment. I want us to take some time and consider what we saw today. To consider the way that the Israelites behaved when they were out there in the desert. And what I want us to do is to compare it with the way that Jesus behaved when he was out in the desert. You see, 1,500 years after the Israelites walked through the desert, so did Jesus. You might remember it was just after his baptism in the Jordan River. And just like the Israelites got hungry out in the desert, well, you know what? So did Jesus. Just like the, the Israelites were put under pressure, so was Jesus. In fact, the only difference is that Jesus had the added pressure of having the devil with him there, tempting him. Now, I don't think that the similarities between these two desert stories are just coincidence. In fact, I reckon we're meant to compare the two stories so that we can see whether Jesus behaves in the same way as the Israelites did. If we see he behaves the same way when he's under pressure or not. Now, on your outline, what I've done is I've printed out uh, part of uh, the passage from Matthew chapter 4. If you'd like to turn with me there now. Uh, and together we'll, we'll look and we'll see how it is that Jesus bears up under his time of hardship. Uh, read with me Matthew chapter 4 from verse 1 where we read... Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you see? Do you see how it is that Jesus responds in his time of testing? Do you see how he behaves when the pressure's on him? You see his true character? You see his true character? It couldn't be any more different from that of the Israelites, could it? Does he grumble? No. Does he disobey God? No. Does he demand from God? No. Instead, what does he do? Well, he acknowledges that what matters most is not bread, it's not having food in your stomach, no. What matters most is listening to the words that come from the mouth of God. 
In other words, the most important thing is trusting and obeying God. And of course, it would be this same trust and obedience that would take Jesus all the way to the cross, where he would face the greatest squeeze of all, where he would take upon himself your sin, my sin, and there suffer the pains of hell for us. The experience of the cross was was as bad as it could ever get, and yet, even there, we see that Jesus continued to trust and obey his heavenly Father, And he wasn't left disappointed either, was he? Why not? Three days later, God raised Jesus to new life. Even though the situation looked so terribly, terribly bleak, Jesus trusted and obeyed God and God came through for him. Yeah, you look at the resurrection of Jesus and friends, you realise that our God, our God is a God who is so totally worthy of all of our trust and obedience. You look at the resurrection and you see that our God is amazingly faithful and good. You see it with the the Israelites there in the desert. But you see it all the more clearly in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Friends, do you believe? Do you believe that that's the kind of God you have? Good and faithful, worthy of all your trust and obedience. I mean, do you really believe that? like Jesus did? Or would you say that your trust and obedience is a little bit more like the the Israelites in the book of Exodus? Well, I dare say that you won't actually really know the answer to that question until you're given a little squeeze. Very easy, isn't it, to say that, yeah, yeah, I trust and I obey God when all's going well with the world. But of course, it's really only when we're in our own times of testing, that our true character's got to be shown for what it is. And so, friends, let me ask you this. How do you go when life gets a little bit tough for you? When the pressure's on, how do you go? Do you grumble like the Israelites? You know, would you say that you're a bit of a grumbler, would you? For those of you who are unhappy in your jobs, you grumble about it, You find yourself whinging and whining and complaining about your boss, about your workmates, as though the sovereign God didn't actually have any say in your situation. For those of you who are unhappy with church or the leadership or other people here or the way that things are done, grumble and complain about it with other people. Now, I've got to say that I've actually been really quite convicted this past week about this issue of grumbling. This week I've come to realise that I am actually a bit of a grumbler. You know what worries me most? It's the fact that I don't need that, all that bigger squeeze at all before I start grumbling. I've come to realise that I grumble at just about anything. I grumble when the traffic's bad. I grumble, I grumble when the milk's gone off. I grumble when the lawn grows and I have to cut it. This week I've even come to realise that I grumble at grumblers. Friends, how on earth am I ever going to go when I face some kind of real hardship? I've got to stop grumbling. 
I've got to stop. Because ultimately, my grumbling shows up this fundamental failure within me to trust and obey God. I've got to stop. And so do you. But if you're not like me, and no, you don't grumble, then let me ask you this. Are you disobedient like the Israelites were in the desert? Remember? Remember how they tried to keep their manna overnight? Remember how they... They went out and tried to collect it on the Sabbath, even though they were told not to do these things. And why did they do it? Why did they do that? Because they were scared, remember? They didn't trust God. You ever like that? When you're under pressure, when you're scared? For those of you who are single, but would rather not be, that can be a very scary thing, can't it? So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You've got to, you got to take matters into your own hands and do things your own way on your own terms like the Israelites did. You know, this world is full of non-Christian men and women who I reckon would just love to be your husband or wife. I reckon it would be pretty simple for you to go out and collect one for yourself. Of course, to do so would be a complete failure on your part to obey God. A complete failure in your part to trust him. So what are you going to do? Or you who are unhappily married. You who are in marriages where you, you feel like your needs are just not being met. Thought of that being in that situation for the rest of your life could be quite a scary thought, I imagine. But then there is that beautiful secretary at work the one who understands you like your wife doesn't. She could take your cares away. All you've got to do is blatantly disobey God. Friends, I don't know what, what it is that scares you, what worries you, but whatever it is, please, please, learn from the Israelites. Please, please, learn from Jesus that even in the worst situations, the best thing you can do is trust and obey God. He has your best in mind. Now, please, trust and obey him. But if you're not a grumbler and you're not blatantly disobedient, then let me ask you this. Are you a demander? Do you demand from God just like the Israelites did? Give us water now, they said, trying to test God treating him like some kind of wish dispenser. Do you ever find yourself demanding from God and testing him like this? You know, okay, God, I know that you've given me this illness, but, you know, if you, if you really love me, you'll make sure that I get better soon, won't you? Or, um, God, I know, you know I've got this exam on, don't you? If you really love me, you'll get me through it. Or, God... If you really love us, you, you will give us children this time around, won't you? Friends, people who truly trust and obey God don't treat him like a chocolate vending machine. Don't ever demand from him, will you? Don't ever test him. He's God. You're not. And you know what? He really loves you. So pray to him, yes. Bring your request to him, yes. 
but don't ever demand from him. Friend, how do you go when life gets a bit tough? Do you grumble? Do you disobey God? Do you you demand from him? Well, if so, stop, won't you? And start trusting and obeying God as you know you should, as you know he deserves. But I didn't want to just finish it here this morning. Instead, what I want to do is is I want to leave you all with two points of encouragement. Very briefly, two points of encouragement. And the first one is this. Friends, when you face hardships throughout this life, and you will, uh, the fact is there will be times when you do fail to trust and obey God as you should. In fact, there's probably some people here this morning who feel quite convicted about doing just that. Well, if that's you, then I I want to encourage you I want to encourage you not to lose heart this morning. Look at the Israelites again. Look at the way that time and time and time again they failed. And now think about how it is that God responded to them. What did he do? Well, he responded with gracious forbearance, didn't he? He stood by them despite their unbelief and disobedience. And you know what? He'll do the same thing for you too. So friend, don't lose heart, will you? God's still right here with you. So learn from your mistakes, yes, but don't lose heart. That's the first point of encouragement that I want to leave you with. And the second is this. Friend, even though it can be very, very difficult for us to trust and obey God when the pressure is really on, even though that can be very difficult, I want you to realise that it is actually doable. It's actually doable. It really is possible for you to trust and obey God even in the worst hardships of your life. It's possible. You know how I can be so sure about that? Well, you remember, don't you, the way that Jesus responded so well when he was under pressure, when he was under the pressure of facing hell. Remember how well he responded? Well, you know what? It's actually the spirit of this same Jesus who now lives in you, Christian. The Holy Spirit has now taken up residence in you. He lives in you. And that means that when you do face difficult situations, well, you've got all the power of the Holy Spirit to call upon to help you make the right choices. Don't you find that an encouraging thought? Don't you find that an encouraging thought for us to finish with this morning? I do. I hope you do too. Well, let's come before God now in prayer. And let's ask God to to strengthen us by his Holy Spirit, to trust and obey him in all circumstance. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Father, we do want to thank you so much for the story of the Israelites in the desert. Father, we ask that you would help us not to be like them, that you would help us not to be grumblers or disobedient or demanding. Rather, Father, please help us to trust and obey you in all situations, good or bad. Father, thanks for the example of Jesus that you gave us to follow and for your gracious forbearance towards us. And finally, thank you for your Holy Spirit at home inside us, helping us to trust and obey you always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.